Section 19 of The Adventures of Gerard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the Brigadier Bore Himself at Waterloo. The Story of the Forest Inn. Continued. Two Prussian generals were beneath me, their heads bent over a map which lay upon the table. Several aides-de-camp and staff officers stood round in silence. Of the two generals, one was a fierce old man, white-haired and wrinkled, with a ragged, grizzled moustache and a voice like the bark of a hound. The other was younger, but long-faced and solemn. He measured distances upon the map with the air of a student, while his companions stamped and fumed and cursed like a corporal of hussars. It was strange to see the old man so fiery and the young one so reserved. I could not understand all that they said, but I was very sure about their general meaning. "'I tell you, we must push on and ever on!' cried the old fellow, with a furious German oath. "'I promised Wellington that I would be there with the whole army, even if I had to be strapped to my horse. Bulov's corpse is in action, and Zitten shall support it with every man and gun. Forward, Nessenau, forward!' The other shook his head. "'You must remember, Your Excellency,' that if the English are beaten, they will make for the coast. What will your position be then, with Grouchy between you and the Rhine? We shall beat them, Nisenau. The Duke and I will grind them to powder between us. Push on, I say. The whole war will be ended in one blow. Bring Pierce up, and we can throw sixty thousand men into the scale while Thielman holds Grouchy beyond Vavre. Nisenau shrugged his shoulders, but at that instant an orderly appeared at the door. "'An aide-de-camp from the Duke of Wellington,' said he. "'Ha-ha!' cried the old man. "'Let us hear what he has to say.' An English officer, with mud and blood all over his scarlet jacket, staggered into the room. A crimson-stained handkerchief was knotted round his arm, and he held the table to keep himself from falling. "'My message is to Marshal Blucher,' said he. I am Marshal Blucher. Go on, go on, cried the impatient old man. The Duke bade me to tell you, sir, that the British army can hold its own, and that he has no fears for the result. The French cavalry has been destroyed. Two of their divisions of infantry have ceased to exist, and only the guard is in reserve. If you give us a vigorous support, the defeat will be changed to absolute rout, and— his knees gave way under him, and he fell in a heap upon the floor. "'Enough, enough!' cried Blucher. "'Nicer now. Send an aide-de-camp to Wellington, and tell him to rely upon me, to the full. Come on, gentlemen, we have our work to do.' He bustled eagerly out of the room, with all his staff clanking behind him, while two orderlies carried the English messenger to the care of the surgeon. Nice now, the chief of staff had lingered behind for an instant, and he laid his hand upon one of the aides-de-camp. The fellow had attracted my attention, for I have always a quick eye for a fine man. He was tall and slender, the very model of a horseman. Indeed, there was something in his appearance which made it not unlike my own. His face was dark and as keen as that of a hawk, with fierce black eyes under thick shaggy brows, and a moustache which would have put him in the crack squadron of my hussars. He wore a green coat with white facings and a horsehair helmet, a dragoon, as I conjectured, 
and as dashing a cavalier as one would wish to have at the end of one's sword-point. "'A word with you, Count Stein,' said Nysenau. "'If the enemy are routed, but if the Emperor escapes, he will rally another army, and all will have to be done again. But if we can get the Emperor, then the war is indeed ended. It is worth a great effort, and a great risk for such an object as that.' The young dragoon said nothing, but he listened attentively. Suppose the Duke of Wellington's words should prove to be correct, and the French army should be driven in utter rout from the field. The Emperor will certainly take the road back through Genappe and Charleroi as being the shortest to the frontier. We can imagine that his horses will be fleet, and that the fugitives will make way for him. Our cavalry will follow the rear of the beaten army, but the Emperor will be far away at the front of the throng. The young dragoon inclined his head. To you, Count Stein, I commit the Emperor. If you take him, your name will live in history. You have the reputation of being the hardest rider in our army. Do you choose such comrades as you may select? Ten or a dozen should be enough. You are not to engage in the battle, nor are you to follow the general pursuit, but you are to ride clear of the crowd, reserving your energies for a nobler end. Do you understand me? Again the dragoon inclined his head. This silence impressed me. I felt that he was indeed a dangerous man. Then I leave the details in your own hands. Strike at no one except the highest. You cannot mistake the imperial carriage, nor can you fail to recognize the figure of the emperor. Now I must follow the marshal. Adieu. If ever I see you again, I trust that it will be to congratulate you upon a deed which will ring through Europe. The dragoon saluted and Nysenau hurried from the room. The young officer stood in deep thought for a few moments. Then he followed the chief of staff. I looked with curiosity from my loophole to see what his next proceeding would be. His horse, a fine strong chestnut with two white stockings, was fastened to the rail of the inn. He sprang into the saddle, and riding to intercept a column of cavalry which was passing, he spoke to an officer at the head of the leading regiment. Presently, after some talk, I saw two hussars. It was a hussar regiment drop out of the ranks, and take up their position beside Count Stein. The next regiment was also stopped, and two lancers were added to his escort. The next furnished him with two dragoons, and the next with two cuirassiers. Then he drew his little group of horsemen aside, and he gathered them round him, explaining to them what they had to do. Finally, the nine soldiers rode off together and disappeared into the wood of Paris. I need not tell you, my friends, what all this portended. Indeed, he had acted exactly as I should have done in his place. From each colonel he had demanded the two best horsemen in the regiment, and so he had assembled a band who might expect to catch whatever they should follow. Heaven help the Emperor if, without an escort, he should find them on his track. And I, dear friends, imagine the fever, the ferment, the madness of my mind— all thought of Grouchy had passed away, 
No guns were to be heard to the east. He could not be near. If he should come up, he would not now be in time to alter the event of the day. The sun was already low in the sky, and there could not be more than two or three hours of daylight. My mission might be dismissed as useless, but here was another mission, more pressing, more immediate, a mission which meant the safety, and perhaps the life of the Emperor. At all costs, through every danger, I must get back to his side. But how was I to do it? The whole Prussian army was now between me and the French lines. They blocked every road, but they could not block the path of duty when Etienne Gerard sees it lie before him. I could not wait longer. I must be gone. There was but the one opening to the loft, and so it was only down the ladder that I could descend. I looked into the kitchen, and I found that the young surgeon was still there. In a chair sat the wounded English aide-de-camp, and on the straw lay two Prussian soldiers in the last stage of exhaustion. The others had all recovered and been sent on. These were my enemies, and I must pass through them in order to gain my horse. From the surgeon I had nothing to fear. The Englishman was wounded, and his sword stood with his cloak in a corner. The two Germans were half insensible, and their muskets were not beside them. What could be simpler? I opened the trap-door, slipped down the ladder, and appeared in the midst of them, my sword drawn in my hand. What a picture of surprise! The surgeon, of course, knew all, but to the Englishman and the two Germans it must have seemed that the god of war in person had descended from the skies. With my appearance, with my figure, with my silver and grey uniform, and with that gleaming sword in my hand, I must indeed have been a sight worth seeing. The two Germans lay petrified with staring eyes. The English officer half rose, but sat down again from weakness, his mouth open, and his hand on the back of his chair. "'What the deuce?' he kept on repeating. "'What the deuce?' "'Pray, do not move,' said I. "'I will hurt no one, but woe to the man who lays hands upon me to stop me. "'You have nothing to fear if you leave me alone, and nothing to hope if you try to hinder me.' I am Colonel Etienne Girard of the Hussars of Conflans. The deuce, said the Englishman, you are the man that killed the fox. A terrible scowl had darkened his face. The jealousy of sportsmen is a base passion. He hated me, this Englishman, because I had been before him in transfixing the animal. How different are our natures! Had I seen him do such a deed, I would have embraced him with cries of joy but there was no time for argument. "'I regret it, sir,' said I, "'but you have a cloak here, and I must take it.' He tried to rise from his chair and reach his sword, but I got between him and the corner where it lay. "'If there is anything in the pockets?' "'A case,' said he. "'I would not rob you,' said I, and raising the cloak I took from the pockets a silver flask, a square wooden case, and a field-glass.' All these I handed to him. The wretch opened the case, took out a pistol, and pointed it straight at my head. "'Now, my fine fellow,' said he, "'put down your sword and give yourself up.' I was so astounded at this infamous action that I stood petrified before him. I tried to speak to him of honour and gratitude, but I saw his eyes fix and harden over the pistol. "'Enough talk,' said he. "'Drop it.' 
could I endure such a humiliation? Death were better than to be disarmed in such a fashion. The word fire was on my lips, when in an instant the Englishman vanished from before my face, and in his place was a great pile of hay, with a red-coated arm and two hessian boots waving and kicking in the heart of it. Oh, the gallant landlady! It was my whiskers that had saved me. "'Fly, soldier, fly!' she cried, and she heaped fresh trusses of hay from the floor onto the struggling Englishman. In an instant I was out in the courtyard, had led Violette from her stable, and was on her back. A pistol-bullet whizzed past my shoulder from the window, and I saw a furious face looking out at me. I smiled my contempt, and spurred out into the road. The last of the Prussians had passed, and both my road and my duty lay clear before me. If France won, all well. If France lost, then on me and my little mare depended that which was more than victory or defeat, the safety and the life of the Emperor. On, Etienne, on, I cried, of all your noble exploits, the greatest, even if it be the last, lies now before you. End of section 19 And end of the story of the Forest Inn